The headphones is on fire. <laughs> We're here, man. What is up, everyone? And welcome to episode 495 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Today's show was recorded in person at Gotham Podcast Studios in New York City. Rashad Bilal and Troy Millings of Earn Your Leisure. Join in to talk AI ChatGPT, the future of sports media, Twitter's change to X, and much more. Just a fantastic conversation with Troy and Rashad of Earn Your Leisure. And get your tickets for InvestFest. We talk about that at the end of this episode. Big shouts to Troy and Rashad for joining in. Appreciate you. You know, you can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Troy, thanks for taking the time, man. Thanks for having Appreciate us. Appreciate it. We're back. We are back. The room's a little bit bigger. <laughs> Things are a little bit better. Um, <laughs> I love everything you guys are doing. The growth, the evolution. It's a platform. It's a movement. How's the vision changed? Has it changed at all? And what's new? I think the vision has expanded. I okay. mean, with more experience, more exposure, you see more opportunities. And so, you know, we've traveled, we've met people who've had, you know, experiences that we haven't, and they've, they've given us knowledge and, and tutelage in it. And so, yeah, I think the vision just expands every time you encompass people like that. Same. I feel like, you know, exposure is really important, and you start to think bigger. You know, you have, like, one one plan, and then you reach that goal, and then it's like, all right, I want to do another, you know, bigger, bigger, bigger. So it's like, you know, can't really visualize it until you get to a certain point, but always just kind of think about what's next. Yeah, somebody just asked us that before we got here. They were like, yo, what's next? And I was like, more? They're like, yeah. huh? I'm like, yeah, more. That's what's next. But don't you think they they could appreciate what you already done as well? <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny. It's like people might only remember what you did in the last week, but you guys have been putting in so much work for the last year. Like what? Three, four, five. I think it's been six years now? Uh, four and a half. Yeah, four and a half. Okay. Yeah, we never rest on it. Like it. I mean, I guess at some point we'll sit down and say, Yo, remember we accomplished that? We accomplished that? But it's always looking at the what's next for us. Like, what can we do? What haven't we done? How can we have more impact? How many more lives can we change? How many more countries can we touch and provide information for? So it's always the next thing. Never really like, hey, that's great. We did this. It's like, all right, we did that. Yeah. Cool. Let's keep going. Yeah. And I feel like you guys are even having more fun now. I mean, it's a little <laughs> less blogs underneath the picture and more like drip reports from uh, my guy Rashad over here. So you know, a lot more traveling. I was actually watching, you know, the interview with Dame from about three years ago, and he was talking about he didn't seem like he was a fan of you guys just being a podcast, even though you guys didn't even look at yourself like that. Was that a turning point or a shift in mindset for both of you? Yeah, for sure. It was definitely something that was, um, you know, we took heat to. He's like, stop calling the show a podcast. And um, we did ask stop calling it a podcast, and I understood what he meant by that. Like, you know, you don't want to limit yourself to just being called the podcast. Like, you know, you want to grow a real company, a media company, and do a variety of other things. And you know, growing to what we have grown into and what we're growing into. 
um, language is important. So it's like, you know, just calling yourself a podcast. That's, only, that's the only thing that people are going to look at you as, as a podcast. We're, we're bigger than that. So that's where he... There's power in words. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So that's where he was coming from, where we understood it, and um, definitely took his advice, for sure. Yeah. It's the reason... It, it caused expansion for us. It was like, yo, he's totally right, and he has... He speaks from a place of experience, right? Like, why limit yourself when, you know, you create a box that's going to keep you in it? And so that wouldn't allow us to go into other fields, right? Like, we want to do other things. Fashion is one of them, right? We want to have travel shows. We want to have cooking shows. So rather than saying, like, earn your leisure the podcast and people think that all we know is business, like, we know sports just as well, right? We yeah. know a lot of things. And so just creating a media company around the name opens the door for you to now explore those avenues where most people are like, oh, that's all they do. Yeah. I feel like you guys are talking about the stuff you want to talk about and the stuff you grew up on, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that That's it. Right. We we grew up in, I mean, most commu- in our communities, it was sports, entertainment, but we also knew business. And so it was like, let's introduce the world to the conversations we haven't really. And now people caught on. And so like the, the, the language is changing, the conversations are changing in those places that we used to frequent. Right. So like the barbershop conversations change when you go to the some of the people like, yo, can you look at my portfolio real quick? I'm like, yeah, bro, we're trying to watch the game. But, you know, but it, it's exciting because it's like, all right, we can see the impact is happening in real time. Were you guys out in Vegas for Summer League? Nah, nah, we okay. didn't make it out there. Okay, next year, you guys got to come. You guys would love it, man. Sure. Yeah, sure. any reason to go to Vegas, we yeah, love it. Sure. <laughs> Speaking of the NBA, we're here talking business. Jalen Brown signed the richest contract in NBA history. $300 million, multi-year deal. But a funny thing is a soccer player was offered – 700 mil or over 700 mil for one year should the nba be concerned yeah for sure you like from saudi arabia mm-hmm. yeah i think you know they already are in golf they're in football soccer so you know i would assume the next biggest sport internationally american football is not really an international sport but basketball is so who's to say that they don't want to start a basketball league? They might already have a basketball league. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's it's probably not. Yeah, there's a bunch of them, but yeah, I don't know if they're not, paying like that yet. <laughs> but, um, yeah, why not? They 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 seem like they're very interested in spending a lot of money, really rebranding their country, you know, and, and kind of giving people a different um, view of Saudi Arabia, how they look at it. They they wanted to kind of be like Dubai, so they, they're using sports entertainment as a. Um, offering to kind of, you know, paint a different picture from what people might have in their heads of what Saudi Arabia is. So, you know, basketball is huge. Um, why not? You know, I can see them trying to give LeBron $800 million just for a year, like, you know. So yeah. it could definitely potentially happen for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that, right? Like you're looking at the next star. And so they offer that. I mean, the soccer players are the most popular players. We know that. Football yeah. players are the most popular. So they, Ronaldo's there. They offered Messi, he didn't go. And so Mbappe was the next one. The difference right. between him and them is there's the age gap, right? Those guys are 15 years his senior. That's crazy, right? So like, it's almost them like taking like an SGA or an Ant Edwards, right? right? It would be like, hey, yeah. Zion, here's this. So you can come play for a year. Like we can see the potential, we can see the growth. Zion, you don't have to practice. You can eat whatever you want. Eat whatever you want, <laughs> man. We'll have people feeding you at the game. So they're looking at it from a talent standpoint plus a longevity standpoint. That's what I was saying. Like they offer him at $776 million at 23 he has a lifetime where he can get a bunch of these contracts for a year. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think all sports leagues should take notes. Like you said, live golf is a real thing, right? That like, was crazy, right? 
This yeah. is real. Can you speak to that situation? Because I'm not as familiar with golf. What happened there with that? And that's a merger, right? Well, now it is. Um, they, they, they're trying to stop the merger, but they agreed. The PGA and, and Liv agreed. You know, Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, they looked at it and said, let's create our own, like our own league. And let's take the best golfers in the world. And so that's exactly what they did. The incentive was that they could pay them more money than anybody else could. So if you can look at the PGA winnings from their top golfers, right, outside of a Tiger Woods, a Phil Mickelson who have long term, but they make most of their money in endorsements. The prize money wasn't as large, right, where these guys are offering money up front to a guy like Dustin Johnson, who was once the number one player in the world. Just to get them over. Just to get them over, they're giving yeah. them $106 million, Crazy. Right? They're giving Phil Mickelson $107 million just to come over, right, Dustin DeChambeau. These guys are getting $60 million just to come over. Now there's winning prizes and all that, but like they're not making that money on the PGA Tour. They have to make it in endorsements. You keep doing that enough, right? There's guys like Tiger who said, I'll never go, right? They offered him 800 million allegedly. He didn't take it. They looked at uh, Rory McIlroy. He said he wouldn't go. But you get five to 10 a year, these guys, and they start seeing the money difference. It's like, why wouldn't we go? Why wouldn't we join this league when we're getting guaranteed money? And we don't even have to win the tournaments. We just have to be in the league. So the PGA looked at it as a standpoint like, hey, if we're going to lose our players and money's the issue, let's figure out a way to work together, which I, I think Rory McIlroy isn't happy about. He, he said that if he has to come to a merger and, and play in a league with their involved, that he's going to retire. So we'll see what happens. Do you feel like it'll be tough to get some of these younger players? Like I mentioned, SGA and Edwards D-Book because the competition will be nowhere near as good. And they're also playing for legacy at the same time. Like at what point does your lifestyle change with that kind of money? early <laughs> Very, i told I, I told my kids last night if somebody offered me 760 or 776 million dollars daddy's leaving and i'll send for you let well, me I'll ask you this would you stop doing earning your leisure for 776 million our leisure's been earned <laughs> right <laughs> it's been earned that's a fact <laughs> it's been earned it's been real but would you what would you do on the day uh, out there? No, it's seven hundred seventy-six mil. Like you say, your your leisure is earned, but you would still want some kind of fulfillment in terms of work and yeah. you know helping out others or wherever it may be. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of it. You you have the freedom to figure out what you want to do. Yeah, that's true. Um, we've always been community oriented, so I'm sure there'll be some community work. I'm sure giving back and still being in a place where we can educate people about finance and and things of that nature. I'm sure that'll still be part of it. Um, so yeah, I mean. That's the luxury of having the freedom. You can do what you want. Yeah. Is there a point where lifestyle changes? Like, obviously, if you have zero dollars, then you get 50. It's a big difference in lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. If you get 50, then you get 100,000. There's a difference. 100,000 to a million, there's a difference. Even 1 million to 10. But is there a point after, I don't know, 500 million, 600 million, where lifestyle can't really be changed? You could only buy so many houses, so many cars, so much real estate. You know, 50 Cent said, he was just like, you know, um, he looked at himself as already as a billionaire because he was like, he, if he had a billion dollars, it wouldn't change his life at all. Mm -hmm. Still flies private jets, still get any car he wants, still lives wherever he wants. So I guess on that level, but then there's people like, you know, Elon Musk who's looking to colonize Mars and different things in nature. So that's a different level of just not only wealth but power. Yeah. So, you know, they go hand in hand. So I guess it just depends on what your aspirations are. If your aspirations is just to maximize the joy on Earth – and yeah, I mean, what's the difference between 500 million and a billion, right? It's not too much more that you can do with a billion that you can do with 500 million. But it's like, if your dream is to, you know, really take over another planet 
or your dream is to, you know, it's a dope dream. Create a whole entire <laughs> virtual reality world like Mark Zuckerberg trying to do a metaverse and different things of that nature, then you you probably need more resources. Yeah. That's a great segue. What do you think of this war? I don't know if we want to call it war between uh <laughs> Zuck and Musk, if you will. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know. Elon Musk is a master marketer. So I think that, you know, he's um been able to position everything that he does as a news story and always make, you know, news for anything that he does, calling people out on Twitter, whatever. And Zuckerberg has never really done that. He's always been kind of the opposite. He doesn't really talk too much. He's not really in the public eye. Um, so it's just interesting to see this play out because they're really kind of like opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, right now, it seems like Elon might have made a miscalculation with Twitter. Facebook is going crazy. Today, their stock is up over $20. So mm-hmm. Meta is on a, on a rise. And it looks like, you know, Zuckerberg is, is really winning this beef if they have one. Um, so <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But ultimately, I think, you know, it's good for both of them. Publicity has always been official. Nobody, you know, loses in, in this type of situation because more people's talking about Elon Musk, more people's talking about Mark Zuckerberg. They're talking about Twitter. They're talking about you know, Instagram, talking about threads, they're talking about everything else that they have going on. So, you know, if you can get if you can keep people's attention and you can keep people talking about you, then ultimately, you know, that's a win. Yeah. I think uh it's interesting. Elon has like you said, he's a master marketer, but the backfire was that he actually made Mark Zuckerberg cool. Like we never nobody looked at him like as a cool guy, but now you see him with UFC fighters. Right, like, and they, he, they're supposed to fight, right? So right. Musk. Well, he, he wanted to. I think his mom suggested that he didn't. But it, it's interesting. Like eighteen months ago, twelve months ago, he was in front of Congress, you know, fighting for the company, where you know he had to lay people off. The metaphors really wasn't working. He's lost billions of dollars for the company, and it was like, well, where's the future for for you know Facebook? You know, he had the name change from Facebook to Meta, so it was like all these this negative press. And now here you go, and this you know he 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 challenges him when he creates uh, threads on the the news right. that Twitter was you know they made some changes to their their platform. He countered with threads and was like, oh wait, this guy really has something here. You get a hundred million users in a week, and it's like, who's using Twitter or it's not even Twitter anymore X. So I mean it backfired for him, but we'll see. Elon is he is where he is and who he is for a reason. So I'm sure innovation will be on the other end of this. You, you know he talked about creating uh, a payment platform out of X, yeah. which is interesting uh, because that's something that these other social medias don't really have a master on yet. Would you consider YouTube a social media? Absolutely. So that's probably the one place where you can monetize, right? Reels was um, doing a little bit with IG, you, right? Yeah, For, YouTube is different though. It's, it's a more of a media platform than a social media platform because most people are not engaging daily on YouTube. Okay. Most the average person is not a content creator. Just making videos on YouTube. The average person that has a YouTube account is watching content. Right? right. So it's like the opportunity to get to monetize. So there's more of a divide between the creators and the audience. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's like watching television. Right? Most people that watch television are not making shows for television. They're just consumers of what they're watching. Or somebody right. that has Netflix. Right? Like most people that have a net Netflix subscription are just there to enjoy content. Right. Ninety eight percent of people that have YouTube accounts are just there to enjoy and watch content like mm. Netflix. Yeah. They're not creating content. So I would say it's more of a 
streaming service anything. Okay. Yeah. Right? Where you, where you, where it's, it's, it's really provided. Where, it's so, where I look at a social media platform as communication-based. It's a new way to communicate. So you're going on there. You're in, watching content, but you're also engaging. Sending DMs, leaving messages. You, this is how we communicate with each other, right? As mm-hmm. opposed to just texting or calling. Social media has become a new form of social engagement, um, which is in, that's why it's social media, because it's a media part of it as well. Like we've created a media company on social media. So that's the media part. But then it's social. So it's more of a social engagement hy- hybrid of media and social interaction kind of merging where I look at YouTube as more of a content consumption. OK, but it does have media components to it right like I mean, the so, comments right right so when people watch and people are streaming there is a part where people can interact with it right so people are in your comments that helps with the algorithm that helps with those your are views. crazy by the way the comments <laughs> yeah. are crazy on YouTube. That, that helps with you but that helps with the, the, the views which helps with the income true. that gets paid for it true so they do have a social piece of it it's not like that traditional sense where like you like you just explained but i, I there, there are components there that they've had and who knows what they'll add so twitter's x go, going to be called x now yeah. and there's going to be a monetization i don't know what you want to call it phase yeah. process involved in it is that going to change the landscape of social media where more of these platforms you'll be able to monetize um yeah if it goes through if it goes through i think it definitely could set up a precedent mm-hmm. and make other companies start i mean people have already you know monetized on different platforms facebook being one of them but it's not a consistent stream across all platforms where you can efficiently. IG was doing it with the reels, right? They were doing Bonuses. it. They started. They stopped mm-hmm. to get um, to what get people in probably to get more people more engaged, probably. hyped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, it would be it, it would be good to see how that plays out. But I think if it if it rolls out successfully, then it definitely can be a template moving forward for you know every every social media company like where they have to start paying people. Yeah, and I think he has a great advantage, right? Outside of just making money from the content it's that peer-to-peer transaction which is why when he was doing the dogecoin thing it was like why is he playing around with crypto but he's probably studying the landscape this is the same guy who created paypal right and so now if you can have peer-to-peer inside of your your social media app that changes the landscape as well and so i'd be very mindful to see what they're doing in the world of crypto if they're going to create their own and have it inside of of x to see what that looks like because who has that now no one but he does have the advantage of, again, studying the landscape of Dogecoin, playing with it, manipulating it in a sense, and then having that PayPal background of the peer-to-peer processor to see how we integrate this now into the new platform. Have we all been working for these social media platforms all these years? You guys talked about it actually recently on a podcast where we're giving away all this free content and they benefit off it. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, um, you know, people. there's no social media platform without people making content. Mm-hmm. That's how they monetize. You know, they sell ads. Um, they harvest data, different things of that nature. So they need people on their platform. They need people engaged. They need people to make content. So the customers are the business model. And, um, yeah, like most people have never made any money directly. You can make money indirectly, like, you know, by selling a product on Instagram. Then somebody goes off Instagram to buy your product. But directly from the source, no, most people have never made any money. Um so, yeah, they've been running a business where people have been working. But obviously, people like you, me, we benefit off the back end from what we put out on social media, correct? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's beneficial. Mm-hmm. It's a great marketing um, tool. 
and it's it's great to you know it's free on that end too right where it's yeah. like you don't it's free for the user but previously like if you wanted to run an ad in the new york times you got to pay a lot of money for that if you want to run an ad on cbs you but you know if you have a large social media following and you run an ad you, you're not paying you know you can't reach all of your followers mm-hmm. but the content that you're able to put out and you're able to reach people and build a, a company and sell products um, you don't have to pay for that. You can pay to, and boost it, um, but on the ground level, it's free. So yeah, there's benefits, pros and cons for everything. It's not like it's social media has just been a terrible, you know, business idea as far as for people. A lot of people have, you know, made a lot of money off of social media. Um, but you know, the other side is that social media has made even more money off of people. Yeah, that's fact. Think about the early adopters of when they f- figured out that that framework of how Instagram was working, let's say like 2011, 2012, when you could actually reach your following. Right. (laughs) Right. Right? So those people who took advantage of it, I think Shadi was one of the early adopters of that, looking at the landscape and saying, I remember him coming to my house and saying like, this is it. There will be no more newspapers. This is how people are going to advertise for their businesses. And he was spot on. Sounds like it's going to be in a book one day or something. Right? This conversation. <laughs> nah, it was. I mean, seriously, he was in, we were in my house and he was saying that to me. I'm looking at him like, damn, yo, I think you're right. Like this, this is this is it. Why would I pay when I can reach twenty thousand people for free, right? Yeah. And so, like the early adopters of Instagram who were doing that took advantage of it. Like those people who got up to a million quick. Imagine if they were able to reach five hundred thousand people, right? If we got a million now, like we probably reached maybe ten thousand. If right, that, if right. and if we want to reach more, we have to pay. So they're going to figure out how to monetize it on on the back end for themselves. So, I mean, it's interesting to like when people are creating these new platforms, like those early adopters. Who's going to have the the innovative thought to say, "All right, this is how it's going to run. This is how it operates. Let's take advantage of it now before big money comes in and people figure like, "All right, this is probably not the best way, right?" Because somebody like Ronaldo who has four hundred million followers. Imagine if he was able to reach 400 million followers, he'd be the leader of the free world, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's crazy. It Or Kim Kardashian. Yeah. With 350 million plus followers. It's like, okay. In a vacuum, when everything went to algorithm, has that benefited everybody? Has it benefited the people that use social media platforms? Has it benefited the social media platforms themselves? I don't think it's beneficial for anybody except for social media platforms. Okay. You know, because it's like you're putting people in a position where they have to start paying for to run ads or they have to start if paying. If you want to reach a certain amount of people. You got to start paying yeah. to boost your posts. So it's definitely not beneficial to the content creators. I don't think it's beneficial for even just regular users because it's like if I choose to follow somebody, I should be able to see their posts. A lot of people that I follow and I don't see their posts and I forget that I'm even following them. And it's like I made yeah, a crazy. conscious decision to follow them. You seeing so. Combo's core content? I do. Okay, good. <laughs> I do. I do. It's, in, it's in my algorithm. Good, good, good. So it's like you know, um, you know that that's something that you know I should be able to make a decision for myself if I want to see the content or if I don't want to see the content. It's AI. Well, you could mute people. Yeah. I got to use that more often. The mute I do that every, every every thirty days. I do. I'm not interested. Don't show me anything like this again. But it's just like yeah, I need va- to do more of that. The vast majority of the content that you see is being dictated by artificial intelligence that is saying that you have a high probability of liking this post. So we're going to show you this post because this is the type of content that you want to see. And it'll keep you engaged on our app. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. But I, there's a bunch of other content that I probably want to see, but I don't even have the right 
to see it because it's not being shown to me. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Like, if you stare at something for five seconds, the algorithm is going to pick that up and say, this is something that they like. Even if you scroll up, crazy, they're going to keep feeding you that. But the, the tricky thing is that the algorithm changes daily, maybe weekly, but there's no fair warning. You just kind of got to figure it out. Like, wait, this po- 17 people saw this? How like what? How did this happen? Yeah. And so it's like trial and error. You got to, now you got to go figure out what, what happened, what changed, what do we do? How do we do something different? That didn't work. This works. And now you're wasting time. And as you're doing it, the algorithm is still creating. And also you don't want to move too far away from who you are trying to change it just for the algorithm. But yeah. then people will, you know, post outrageous things just to get the algorithm going for them. But then who are they really at the end of the, the day? The most outrageous thing. Damn, yeah. I just spit some bars. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You mentioned AI, ChatGBT. It seems like it has some competition now, right? Yeah, for sure. Everybody's coming out with their version. Um, Google's coming out with a version. Meta's coming out with a version. Apple this is coming out with a version. So you're going to see all of the tech companies have their own chat box is what they call it. Okay. Where it's like you kind of just ask it questions and it gives you answers or you just. So that's it. the general term for any chat GPT type platform chat box. I believe so. Okay. Yeah. I think okay. the GPT part is, is the. So Apple's GPT and well, Microsoft did with open AI with chat GPT, but other companies will create their own GPTs. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you're going to see a lot of that happening. I think the competition is only going to intensify. And um, pretty pretty soon, everybody will just have different versions of it, different, you know, unique features, different, you know, personalized features. And it'll be a thing where, you know, you just see which one you like. It's like it's like a Internet browser. Like you got Safari, you got, you know, Google, you got, you know, Yahoo. There's a bunch of different ones, but Google became dominant, but they're still not the only Internet browser um, or search engine. I should say. So now it's like, what search engine do you actually use, right? You have options to use different search engines. It's just that Google has, you know, reigned supreme over the last 15 years. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was thinking that this could be, and I've heard nobody talk about this yet. Can't this be the death of search engines and when you could just talk to chat GBT? Uh, can it be the death? It, it it doesn't help the, the space. Yeah. But um, what he said is very important. He said that Google has a dominance in it. And if you think about why, it's because it's efficiency. Right. But it's more if, like, and to my point, it's more efficient than putting yeah. it into a search engine. Right. Like I yeah. could just chat yeah, with somebody. I think that's the next yeah. level. So companies will have it. I said this the other night, but it starts with the, you know, first the AI companies being created. Okay. The enterprise incorporated. And eventually it'll be individuals. So you'll have your own GBT, right? That stays with you, right? So it'll start figuring out the things that you like. It'll understand the things that you can. I, I was see, watching a presentation where the gentleman was talking to his own personal GBT, like, um, can I eat this banana? And it was like, well, you know you're allergic to bananas, but eat at your own risk, right? So like, crazy. it'll get to that point where everybody will have their individual one. And so you don't need the search engine, right? And it's like Siri, do we need Siri? We don't need her, but we can use her when we, we want to. But does it make it more efficient, right? So that that's what it's going to come down to. Who can create the one that turns into a personalized thing that makes it e- life even more efficient for everyone? And competition is good, so it could speed up the process of how well these things work. Yeah, that's what's happening now, right? So uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT out the gate, boom, that becomes a space. And even style, some people aren't even familiar with its capabilities. But over the next you know, two years, two to three years, it's going to be everywhere. You can't hide from it because enterprise will have it. But- 
there are going to be people who are watching. And even if you watch now, people who've left the open AI, they're going to create their own. Right. And Google, like you said, Google's creating its own. So it's going to be about how fast can we make it. Right. And that sometimes being ahead in that space can backfire for you. Right. Because it's like, well, we went out the gate, but we have errors. We had what they call in the space hallucinations where the answers that they have and the prompts that they have aren't as efficient and not, not always true or accurate. Mm-hmm. And so now the person is looking at that says, all right, I'm an engineer. How do I make this product even more accurate and faster than this? Right. And so it becomes like the, the MySpace to the Facebook. So we just, I mean, it's, it's part of technology and, 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 and that's, I mean, that's the evolution that that's how things will happen. How do you guys use ChatGPT? Are there any hacks or even ways to make money <laughs> at this point using ChatGPT? I'm sure there's a lot of ways, but are there any ways that come to mind specifically? I use it a lot for like writing, like different things, like descriptions or yeah. captions or YouTube a lot. Like, you know, just give it like random thoughts and like just make a hundred word, you know, write up about this and it does it like in a second. So that's how I use it a lot for um, anything that really has to be written. Spell check, use it a lot for that too. Like, you know, if you're writing something and you want to just make sure that it's, it's spell check. Um, so it's an editor. Use it for like editing a lot of, of um, you know, written work. You want to hear how much facts that is? When I was texting him today, I used it just to spell check. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I was using it just like that today. It's crazy. Yeah. Yesterday I put in, um, so I was using, I have ChatGBT, but I was using uh, Claude 2, which is Anthropic, one of their competitors. Oh, wow. I never heard of that one. Yeah. yeah. So Claude 2 is, an, is, is a GBT that, like I said, so the engineers who are at uh, OpenAI, they left and created Anthropic. And so, like, when the, the White House had a call for people in the AI space, they invited the open AI people, but they also invited Anthropic and a few other key companies. So, when I put in, um, it is able to transcribe a lot quicker than ChatGBT. So, I think Google had their earnings report on Wednesday, and I was like a 14-page report. I'm like, I took the PDF. I said, transcribe this for me or, or summarize it. It gave me a, a one-pager of everything that came out in their earnings report. So now when I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, cool. Here's the bottom line. Here's the revenue. They hired a new CEO. Okay, boom. Quick. Saves a lot of time. Two minutes. Right? I didn't have to go through the 14-pager. G- give me a, a paragraph to tell me what this was all about. So the next thing was, like, all right, well, Microsoft had their earnings report. They kind of missed. Put the PDF in. 60 seconds later, I got a one-pager. All right, bet. Crazy. Move on. Crazy, man. <laughs> What's your biggest concern when it comes to AI? Can they do what we're doing? Like, can they make the same podcast that we're talking about right now? Or, I mean, should we be worried? Can they start potting like us? Can they, st- I mean, I don't think they could create an event like uh, InvestFest, right? Like, what, what exactly could AI do in the future? <laughs> well, you never know. When you create something that, you know, is smarter than you, then there's no telling what it can do, right? Yeah. It doesn't have the same level of brain capacity that you have. It's, it's smarter than you. So, it can really do anything. Um, even stuff that's beyond our even imagination. Yeah, it's is, crazy, right? Yeah, so that's it's definitely something that, to consider and to be concerned about because, um, you know, eventually, you know, it might get to a point where it rebels against, you know, people and it does its own thing and creates its own community and starts working with, you know, other AI robots and different things of that nature. And it's like, you know, this having movies about this stuff, but definitely can happen in reality create their own language that can't be decoded that's what happened previously facebook tried to start their uh, robots and they created their own language and nobody could understand it they had to shut it down so it could do anything you know like i said it's it's a thousand times smarter than a human so that's crazy that's the underestimate 
like a hundred thousand times smarter, which is and it could get even smarter than that, right? Yeah, we can't, Over time, we can't because it can learn with the brain capacity of, of the computer, and it only gets smarter every day because every day it combs all the information in the world and it puts it into its its, its storage base, right? So those one of the things that people look at, they're like, oh, what should we be paying attention to? I'm like, pay attention to how many da- data centers are being built. Because if these computers are taking in all this information, it's being stored somewhere. So that's something that people should be looking into. But there's, there's no limitations on it. I think that the most important thing for us is to uh, become familiar with it and figure out how we can work with it rather than saying, like, this is insane. That's how it got to be, right? Like, that's yeah. how it was with social media. That, <laughs> yeah. That's how it was with all technology. It's going to be incorporated in your life. It's like when we were growing up and people were like, computers, Internet. And if you don't, you fall behind, right? Of course. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the natural progression is like if if you don't stay in with the times you're gonna fall out of them yeah i have to ask you is any quick ways to make money using chat gbt right now before everybody <laughs> finds out this information investing <laughs> companies that that are uh, prominent in a uh Microsoft, okay microsoft that's an interesting NVIDIA, way of looking at it uh google is a, is a great one so yeah and again if, if there's companies that are creating data centers look into those those companies as well yeah if you trade your time for money You'll never get wealthy. How true is that statement? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you you have to, um, you can only work so many hours in a day. So you have to find ways for your money to work for you, whether it's, you know, through business, through investing. It's very important. So that's definitely um, the pathway. Is that, was that ever something, was that something you realized from the beginning or you learned that over time for both of you? I always knew I always was into investing, always in okay. the business, like, you know. So I always, even when we were in prep school and stuff, you were always into that, or there was a little bit after that. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like heavily involved, but I was. I was. It was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting sure. too. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I always kind of understood that principle. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I kind of learned it during my process of like uh, getting a master's degree uh, in education, and it was like you know I I was with colleagues. And um, I'll be looking at the pay scale. I'm like, well, the pay is only based on how many years I'm here. It doesn't really matter how effective I am. I was like, well, how do I make more? <laughs> right, right. And it was like, well, you got to get like plus 15 credits, plus 30 credits, doctorate degree. And I'm like, so I have to pay for school to make more money here? I'm like, I just got to figure out how to make more money then. Like, if like, I'm not going <laughs> to pay money to try. So I was like, all right, well, I got to figure out a better strategy. And it was like, it did, like you said, it didn't matter how hard I worked. There was only going to be a certain amount of times in a day, right? The, the time is the time. I, I can't defeat that. It's, it's undefeated. So it was like, all right, well, I have to figure out a way to have money work for me. Um, and so that's when it was like, all right, we got to invest. We have to have residual income. We have to make sure that money's working for us or we're going to be working for it to, to the day we die. If you knew that in college, what went into your decision of becoming a teacher? And once you were a teacher, did you realize that this probably wasn't the right move for you? Or was that later when you and Richard started to create what you guys were creating? I think I, right when I graduated, I never forget, we had a, um, I just got my bachelor's in like health science. And um, we were sitting and we were having this conversation about what we want to do now. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have careers, but what are we going to do? Let's create something together. And um, everybody had read that, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was mm-hmm. like, I, I haven't heard. I, I ain't read that yet. And so when I read that, and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. This has to be the route. Like, assets over liability. Like, we have to figure out how to make money. And at the time, we was like, all right, let's, let's do it in real estate because a friend of ours was, was big on real estate. And so we were looking at it from that standpoint. And so from there, it was like, all right, well, that's real estate. And then it was, I got familiar with uh, the stock market. I was like, oh, okay, I get this. 
And it was like, all right, cool. I got a firm grasp on this. And uh, then the financial crisis happened in 2007, 2008. And I was like, don't get my money back. Let me get my money back, Um, which was, (laughs) you know, I look back on it now. It was probably uh, not the best decision, but I had to go through it to to be where I'm at today. And so that financial, like, wherewithal came from those times because I didn't didn't grow up in finance. My parents is not even, like, they're from Jamaica. Like, I'm first generation. So finance, we didn't even talk about it. I, the only time where I heard of finance was like if I was talking to them or talking to some of my other friends and was like, oh, okay, bet. I don't want to be left out of conversations anymore. I'm going to study to make sure that I'm part of them. Isn't it a beautiful thing now you can relay the information you're learning throughout your process to them? Yeah, it's incredible. I, I think it, it, it's still like my dad still struggles with it a little bit. He's like, you know, it's like they feel like they know a lot <laughs> and you don't want to tell them like, oh. So I'm like, all right, cool. I just agree with him. But, um, you know, it, it's part of it. I, I'm I'm happy that he went through and my mom, you know, together they went through some things because I was able to learn from some of the, the mistakes that they made, some of the errors they made. And that should be the goal for each generation. How do we make the next one better? Yeah. I was in Clarendon for uh, Christmas. You know where that is in Jamaica? Clarendon? Uh, what parish is it? I don't know, but it's in the middle of nowhere, bro. Like goats <laughs> and you got to walk to get your water like real, real crazy. Real, yeah, real, it was dope, deal. man. In Great experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was running those hills. You know, that's what I do. Anyway. No joke. <laughs> nah, that's no you joke. You got CSE. The algorithms do hit. Right. <laughs> no joke. So, you know, you've talked to billionaires on your show. You have done some studying when it comes to billionaires. What is a common mindset so we could all become billionaires what's the common mindset of a billionaire in your opinion from what you're seeing like the patterns you just gotta be very disciplined always think like you know bigger never really get satisfied like always like be willing to learn that's how they like mark i feel like we're all on our path then yeah for sure definitely mark cuban was talking about how much he he reads books all the time he goes to seminars he pays for courses online just random stuff like he just want to just learn everything so i think you got to consume as much information as possible and um be able to, you know, really execute. A lot of times people have good ideas, they have good plans, but they can't execute, they can't put it together. You could be talking about an idea for 10 years and never do it, and it's like, what good is it? So, you know, you got to actually be able to, you know, really execute efficiently. Yeah, I think um, they have a sense of fearlessness. They never, and I think this is one of the things that that we have in common, is that we never look at an opportunity like, oh, this is not going to work. It's like Mm -hmm. it has to work because it has to work. Is it basically like when there's a will, there's a way? Yeah, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. Like that, that's the main thing. Like we'll figure it out. So that's something that, you know, I've seen for sure. Um, their ability to collaborate and, and have collaboration inside the business, um, building strong teams, um, and leadership. Like those qualities are something that we've seen in all the billionaires and not just the billionaires, the, the multi-millionaires. Cause I don't want to feel like they're not as important. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're equally as important. They've had all those characteristics and there's hardships too. They've all, they've all had a, more some, money, more problems. They've all had some type of hardship and they, they were able to combat through it and, uh, become even bigger and, and were able to scale whatever they're doing. If somebody's already an expert in multiple fields, What's the best way to combine all that and start a consulting company, conglomerate? What would be actually, you know, a great question is like, what would be the first step? To start a consulting firm? Yeah. For like something you're already super knowledgeable in. I guess the first thing to do is put together a business plan and really, you know, put together like a a list of people that you would reach out to, whether it's different 
colleagues that you have or different, you know, wow, um, businesses. Like these would be your first clients, right? So you want to kind of pitch them on your services first. And usually it's beneficial if somebody actually knows you. And you So reach out to your network. Yeah, reach mm-hmm. out to your network yeah. for sure. And then, um, you know, build a presence. Talk about social media. Like that's a great way to kind of build a presence and become an authority online um, and really, you know, grow your network bigger than just people that know you. Uh, that's something that once again is free. It's free to make content. It's it's free to you know put it out. So, you know, I would definitely encourage everybody to you know think about that. Uh, I would add um, figure out who your target audience is going to be, um, and figure out how many people you want to help. Um, I think one of the successes of what we've done was we didn't go into this thinking, all right, we're going to make a lot of money doing it. It was more of a standpoint, and a lot of people in businesses that are successful is like, how many people can we help? How much value can we add? And money became a byproduct of all those other things. And so if you're creating a consultant firm, again, who's the target audience? How many people can we have? How much value can we add in this space? So let's, you know, we started with sports. Let's finish up with a couple of topics about sports. Um, ESPN, there was a lot of layoffs recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just reading between the lines, what does this mean for the future of sports media? I feel like, you know, it's um, media in general. Like, you know, people are cutting back. You have people like even Cam and May starting their own show. So, you know, when you look at the world of YouTube and different podcasts and stuff like that, like people are consuming content differently and they're not just watching ESPN for right. their news. Just like they're not watching and they're not just watching CNBC for their financial news. They might be watching us. So that's going to lead to um, more innovation that's going to be needed in, in traditional media to stay relevant. Um, and also, you know, yeah, more effective ways to spend money. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be cutbacks on staff. There's going to be cutbacks on writers. There's going to be cutbacks on personalities. Um, you know, the days of just having million-dollar budgets do everything because they didn't have any competition. Now they right. got competition mm-hmm. and people's attentions are being, you know, vied for in a variety of different ways. So you don't have the same luxury of not having that, you know, just only thing you can watch is sports. And if you wanted to watch anything to do with sports, now you can watch anything. You can watch Bleacher Report online. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, you're going to start seeing a shift in that for sure. Yeah, I think the the way that, that linear TV made money has changed over the past 10 to 15 years. Yep. Um, and so when a company like Disney who owns ESPN – Right when they were so used to getting money from advertising during the the, the breaks of their shows, that's kind of gone away because people don't watch the same, so advertisers don't spend the same, and so you have to figure out a new way to get income. Um, and social media has has done that, like you said. If you go to Bleach Report, you don't see the same news. In fact, you might see it before you get to watch it on ESPN. So now, what's the point of doing it? Um, that's part of business. You know, you got to figure out a new way. Um, the interesting thing with them is that. In order to have the bottom line, you have to have cuts. And rather having multi, you know, year talent on the the, the network, you got to find new ones. Like this, this, this isn't the age of when we grew up when we had to watch Craig Kilborn yeah, right? yeah, and, yeah. and Stuart Scott, rest in peace, and Chris Berman. Like yeah, these guys, we watched them for our entire lives because they were able to create personalities on the network when people were advertising. Those days don't exist, right? And so there's no, they're not looking at it from a standpoint where it's like. Do I need to have a Bahami Jones? I, I may not, right? Do I and, and do I need to have 
uh, Jalen Rose. They let Jalen Rose go. So it's like they're looking at a standpoint where they're trying to cut the bottom line, but they have to find a new way. So what's interesting for creatives is that if you're already in this sports space and you have a platform, you're coming to the network with that rather than them try to build. Right. So like yeah. you figure like a Pat McAfee who was able to sign for 85 million. He had a following. He was a former athlete, but he had a following prior to it. That adds value. People are going to come to watch that. And you've seen it with their Monday night. Like the Pat McAfee show now turned into, you know, he's doing college football. But on Monday night football, if you turn to ESPN2, they have this live sports show. That's with Peyton and Eli. And then they bring in guests. And now you're watching the game with them. Right. But that's yeah. what he kind of had started that. And so, like, it'll be who's the next person that'll be able to kick down the segue and do that. Because I think that's where they'll have to go. Um, from a standpoint to make money uh, or from a standpoint of the network, they're going to have to find a, a strategic partner to partner with them in order uh, to alleviate some of the costs. So you see uh, more of bringing in talent that already has their fan base instilled and also maybe like already has production. Like mm-hmm. we could produce the show ourselves and then we'll send it to you ESPN. But now the, the cost, right? If, if I can do this show right here, yeah. this doesn't cost the network anything. They could just live stream it on the network. Right, right, right. right. Like yeah. when I watch Peyton, he's sitting in his house. Yeah. He doesn't have to be I feel like a lot of that started in the pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. Right? And he was, but McAfee was doing that. Yeah. And now it's like, all right, this is like the normal thing. And people actually watch it. So now when you go to watch the Women's Final Four, they bring in Diana Taurasi and they bring in Sue Bird. And they're sitting in the living room because it's like, all right, with, you know, they're at the arena, but it, it has that home feel. Cause it's like, we can do this from anywhere. So you see more of that, more shows like that and... I think so. Yeah, unless like big studio productions, you're saying right. Unless the only the only one that's worked successfully throughout the years, and I know the NBA one is pretty decent. Uh, is first NFL. take, right? If first take is a yeah. show, yeah, yeah I'm yeah, saying yeah. like for a specific sport. Okay, okay. So like okay. the NFL, I mean that comes on. The NFL is king in, in in American sports, and so that one works. But the talent has moved, right? Like imagine, yeah. I didn't, I couldn't think of a day that Susie Colburn wouldn't be working for ESPN, but that day has come. Yeah, <laughs> right? that's crazy. Yeah. All right, let's let's end with this because you guys don't debate a lot, but I feel like you guys are not on the same page when it comes to this. And we're talking about the greatest NBA player of all time. We're not. Not on the same page. But I'm going to change the question slightly because I heard Rashad talking about on social media that the reason he has LeBron as the greatest ever or one of the reasons is because of longevity and consistency. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. Okay, now let's take that out of it. Who has had the greatest peak, Rashad? Them at their best. Who was the greatest player between MJ and LeBron? Um, I mean, I think it's debatable, but I think that you can definitely make a, a debate for LeBron as well. I mean, I think what he's done as far as nine conference finals in 10 years, something like that, like his dominance. But we're talking peaks. Well, his peak has been 10 years. Okay. So it's like his peak, he's still on his peak, really. He hasn't, he's averaged almost 30 points a game. So, I mean, his peak, we've never really seen somebody that has a, this long of a, of a peak. Right? right. I agree with that. And, yeah. and, and, and dominance on the Eastern Conference, then comes to the West, wins the title in the West. Um, it's, it's really remarkable. Now, Jordan had a tremendous run in, in winning five, six rings, six rings, right? Mm-hmm. Six rings. In eight years. Um, and that was a that was a tremendous that's a tremendous <laughs> that in there by the way no this is by the way that's a tremendous accomplishment but it's like you know LeBron has a stranglehold on the NBA 
Combo, I want I want to ask you this though, right? Mm-hmm. The longevity thing, and this is interesting. What year did Jordan retire? Well, he retired twice, right? The, well, or, the last with the Bulls. I, I don't the Wizards thing. I don't really count. But when he ninety six, ninety. How old was he? He was, I would say, thirty six. If I had to guess correctly, right, thirty six, right? Yeah. There's guys in the league. So like, even when he retired, I was like, damn, Jordan kind of felt like he was old. Yeah. Well, if you look at the league now, Chris Paul's thirty nine years old. He's still playing. He is right. Jimmy Butler's thirty five years old. He just left the finals. These guys are playing longer. Right, yeah. Kevin Durant, even a guy like Kevin, we're gonna see Kevin Durant at forty playing basketball. It's a fact. So, like the longevity thing, like that, science, technology, health, strength, strength and condition has helped that in a stance of like mm-hmm. the long. And LeBron's helped that I because mean, because I, he's he's kind of he's been like one of the first guys that we've seen to do it. But LeBron's not even the oldest guy in the NBA. But LeBron, I do like Andre Iguodala still playing. But there's forty eight players that was drafted when LeBron played. Yeah, got drafted. He's the only one that's still playing. It's a fact. But he's not the oldest player in the league. No, I'm I know he's still But playing. I'm just saying, it's still an anomaly. He is. And it's, of course it's, it's, it's an anomaly. It's one, They're it's, both anomalies. Of course. But it's, but it's one thing to still be playing at 39 and 40 years old. It's another thing to still be dominant. That's why. That's, that's what, the yes. difference. Greatness. And that's, that's the difference. So that's, it's, it's a lot of players have played for 16, 17, 20 seasons. Like Adon Haslin just got, he played for a long time. 20 years. But most of those, most of that time, you, now you start. Well, he's to, more of a coach, but that's But I'm just saying, time. a lot that's of players have been played, but then LeBron's still arguably one of the top players in the league. I agree with you. Yeah. Still I, unstoppable. Yeah, I think, but that's why I said to, to that point, I think we'll see Kevin Durant playing at 40 and yeah, still be yeah. dominant, still scoring 30 a game. Just because of his skill set and how easy scoring comes to him, like he can still be an effective and dominant player, top five, top 10 player. At age 38, 39. So LeBron has set that trend. And of course, he's a phenom. I have him as number. I don't even say one. I don't say two. I say one A and one B. Because I just think they're they're that great. I agree. And I think if you, you ask who's the greatest, I think I have to lean towards LeBron. But if you say who has the greatest peak, I think Jordan at his best was better than LeBron at his best. If that makes sense. I mean, like I said, you could debate it because you know Jordan, you could always debate it. Yeah, I think LeBron, was, <laughs> even though we're not a debate show, <laughs> LeBron's a better all-around player. Yeah, and and provides more on the court than than Jordan does. I don't think what that's, you're saying more from an all-around standpoint, from an all-around playing standpoint. That's what you're saying, like, you know, what I mean, as far as being able to pass, being able to, you know, rebound, control a team, really can play any position on the court. I always lean towards players that makes their teammates better. I mean, they both did, but LeBron definitely did that. Exactly. Too LeBron definitely yeah. makes his teammates better. And that's evident to every team that he's ever been on. Yeah. Every team that he's ever been on has been a winning team. And that's not true with Jordan. Yeah. It's just not. The, the Lakers weren't a winning team. Uh, they just went to the conference finals this no, year. two years ago. They, they made the but I'm saying he's with the Lakers. They won a champion. He had a championship with the Lakers. Every team of LeBron. He's looking at the asterisk. I'm not putting the asterisk. Every Don't team, do that. Every team Don't of, do the asterisk thing. The, 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 the bubble counts. Don't every, do that. Every team that LeBron has been on. Every team that LeBron has. Think about. Every, Different set of challenges. Think definitely about, counts. Think yeah. about every team that LeBron has been on. Yeah. He has a championship with that team. That's a tremendous accomplishment. That is. Yeah. And it's not like. You know, disrespect to Robert Ory, but it's not like he's just happens to be on teams where he's just fitting in, and he's the best player on every one of those teams. So every team that he's been to, he's won a championship with that team. That means he's made that team better. It might have took a year, it might take t- two years, but they've become champions. That's just, this is what I told you this year. I said he can't be the best player anymore for them to win. 
And I said that the past two, three years. And you argue with me, and I said AD has to be the best player if they want to win. AD's so inconsistent. But that's the problem. Yeah. He's not consistent. So if he's not going to be the best player, they can't win. Because you can see, like, when they like play. AD lacks that killer instinct. When they play Denver, like, he tried his hardest. He played good, actually. He played, well. right? Yeah, yeah. But it was just like he he can't carry them to the to the finish line. I mean, as I mean, he, be, he's done it for how many, 20 years, 21 years now? He shouldn't have to carry him to it. He shouldn't have to be the best player. It has to be the next guy. Yeah. Okay. Last thing, and then I want to hear more about InvestFest before we get out of here. But last sports-related thing before we get out of here. Advice you would give to a young athlete coming into millions of dollars. Um, definitely have good good people around you, good advice, and educate yourself, most importantly. Like you can rely on other people, but you gotta educate yourself, you know, understand that nothing lasts forever. So, you know, just be careful and be wise with the money that you have because um you don't wanna, you know, waste it and then have to, you know, live with regrets later on. Minimize bad decisions, Charlie Munger. That's about that. That's a fact. That's a fact. So, you know, definitely um <laughs> educate yourself and, and just, you know, Understand that you know you don't have to do everything at one time. Yeah, plan for the future because uh, you're gonna be older a lot longer than you're gonna be younger. Uh, that is my favorite quote. That's a bar. Who said that? Uh, she Klutz. I should know that. <laughs> Proceed. Uh, I just think that's. I mean, it's key. You know, especially with when we're talking about millions of dollars, that could be a 17 year old kid that's coming out of high school with the NIL situation. And so, yeah, the education piece is important. Um, finding people that you trust. Uh, that's important and finding people who are knowledgeable in areas that you have interest right a lot of times people will bring opportunities to you and you have no interest but they're telling you it's a good idea and so they'll go along with it right but if you don't have any interest in it then you're not going to really learn from anything that that's that's happening so figure out what some of your interests are and i'm not saying at 17 you should know everything that you want to do in life but have some type of interest and uh, find people who are knowledgeable in that and and then try to get as much information as possible before you make a decision on getting into it Outstanding. You guys have been more than gracious with your time. <laughs> um, really appreciate both of you. The biggest. Tell me about InvestFest. InvestFest, August 25th through August 27th this year in Atlanta. And, um, you know, it's just a, an amazing event. You know, over 20,000 people will be in attendance in Atlanta, Georgia. We got um, Diddy mm. as a headliner, um, you know, talking. We have uh, Robert Smith billionaire who's been on your show for yep, sure yep, yep. we have uh, mike novagrads who's another billionaire in crypto we have kathy woods who's the most famous female investor ever we got steve harvey we got chris paul we have lala anthony we have jermaine dupree we have my guy don Poole from brooklyn chop house owner we have Tabitha Brown, Tabitha Brown, MG the Mortgage Guy, Maverick. 19 Keys, Ian Dunlap. So Maverick, Rich Paul. Yeah, this is a, <laughs> a, a gumbo of a lot. business, finance, people that have reached high levels of success across all fields. And um, just an unbelievable experience for anybody that's interested in coming. You know, over three days of, you know, vendor marketplace and food trucks and panel discussions and fireside chats and so much energy in the city um, that's going to be happening over that course of that time. So definitely will encourage every single person to meet us there. It's the third year. Every year it's gotten bigger and bigger. So this year we expect it to be the biggest so far that we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, man, make your way to Atlanta. This is a, an event that you definitely can't afford this to This guy miss. got me hype, man. I want to yeah. go now. Let me think about so that. Got, wait, can we set combo up for this? 
Kamo wants to pull up. Let's do it. Kamo's pulling let's up. Do it. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, last year we had five billionaires. This year we're, we're on pace to have more in the same space. Um, that's unprecedented, especially for anything. There's nothing even close. Right. Like, think about that. That's unprecedented on top of the multi-millionaires that are going to be there. And so it's an opportunity to network. It's an opportunity to hear business ideas, uh, find business partners, find uh, funding for your business. Uh, all, all, all around, it, it, it's a place that if you're in the space of trying to enhance your knowledge in finance and in business, it's a must. It's a must. Really appreciate your guys' time. Oh, this is uh, too much fun. Appreciate Man, you guys got me really hyped on this Invest Fest. Like, <laughs> but I mean, I've, I've seen, obviously, you know, the content on social. Oh, we got Jeezy. You say Jeezy? Jeezy closing out the show. That's dope. <laughs> yeah. So, so some of these artists are not only speaking, they're performing, right? It's fun. It's everybody, a festival. Everybody's speaking except for Jeezy's performing and Ja Rule's performing also. That's dope, man. But yeah. It's a- so wait, so it's almost like a combination of networking, learning about investing, and a party in a way, right? In a yeah, sense? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Definitely entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> it's Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta's dope. Yeah, I like Atlanta. <laughs> Man, you guys, you guys are great, man. Um, I told Rashad last time I saw him, super proud of him. Well, actually, not not the last time I saw him because I saw him in New York, New York, but he was across the. It was, it was a lot going on, bro. <laughs> but last time we chopped it up, you know, I told him how proud of him I am. And Troy, it's always great talking with you, basketball, sports, business. Yeah. Thank you guys for taking the time. You know, you're always welcome back on the show. We get bigger studio every time you come, so next time it'll be even bigger and better. Yeah. Um, where can we find you guys? Social media before you get out of here. Yeah, Earn Your Leisure across all platforms, YouTube, um, Apple, Spotify, Podcast Outlets, Instagram, Threads, Twitter, anywhere. And uh, <laughs> com. that's our website. So, yeah, that's where you can find us. Yeah, and I told you that when we saw each other last time, but we're proud of you. Appreciate um, that. Watching you be as consistent as you are, the knowledge that you have about basketball. Um, the Jay Billis episode is my, probably my favorite. Uh, but, I mean, it's 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 tough people don't understand the work that goes into trying to create a show like that you have done and be consistent even when basketball is not in season which it feel like it always is um you have been relentless with it so i i want to give you your kudos too man super proud of what you're doing appreciate it brother appreciate that man means a lot i almost teared there i'm not even lying (laughs) i'm serious it's not super dope appreciate you there it goes earn your leisure combos court we're out peace there you have it love 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 (laughs) There it was. Episode 495 is in the books. Big shouts to Rashad and Troy for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Rate and review the show wherever you listen to Combo's Court. And be on the lookout for episode 496. Combo, out.